Well, good morning. Happy New Year to everyone gathered in God's house today. What a what a blessing it is to see all of you here today. Um, this is an exciting time of year for us as a church and as a church family. As uh, uh, this is the time of year when we will or, ordain, uh, lay hands on uh, three men uh, that God has set aside uh, to to serve you, the body here at Grace Harvest, and. Um, I want to share with you the names of the three men that um, will um, be coming forward at the end of this month. On the uh, 29th, we will have an ordination service for uh, Rich Hamilton, uh, Michael Dance, and Javier Owens. Those three men uh, have been examined, have seen God work in their lives, and uh, we are um, privileged to... Uh, bring these three men forward to the body uh, for for service along with the other deacons here. And um, and one more thing I do want to mention is that uh, next week I will be, um, during the Sunday school hour, all parents who are considering having their children um, dedicated unto the Lord on the 15th of this month, please uh, meet me in my office uh, during the Sunday school hour at that time um, to go over exactly what that means when we dedicate our children. This morning, we return to the book of Romans, and we complete the mini-series within the series. As you know, we, we have walked three years, basically three years through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we're, we're taking a, a little bit of a, a breather from, uh, from that, and we have gone and talked about what it, what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. What does it mean to be living a transformed life. And after I finish this series, we'll move into a, another little mini-series on 1 Corinthians 13 before I get into um, our, our doctrines and what the Bible has to teach about the end times. And that, that will go on uh, for a number of weeks. Uh, I think about 12, 12 weeks we'll, I'll be in um, that. We'll be going through our eschatology what we believe uh, as a church, what we believe the Bible teaches uh, to get God's people uh, to understand um, that these days are uh, that we're in. They may seem uh, like they are dreadful days, but as a Christian, we need to understand that the life that God has given you, he's given you to live it now. And he's called to live you to live that life each and every day. So today we are in the book of Romans chapter 12. And we'll be concluding uh, uh, what makes Christian love different. I began that last week. Um, you know, I, I've used this illustration before. How, how do we know that an apple tree is an apple tree? How do we know? If you, if you uh, have an apple orchard, and how do you know it's an apple tree? Well, you know it's an apple tree because it produces apples. Right? So if I was to tell you... Uh, you, we see the result. The result of that is a bushel of apples that comes off those trees. But if I was to tell you that it was a pear tree, and uh, I'm telling you, you're looking at it, you go, well, that's an apple tree. And I say, no, it's a pear tree. And you go, no, Pastor Mark, it's an apple tree. And I say, no, 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 it's a pear tree. You just don't understand. You don't see it right. Well, folks, that's, that's the way it is for a Christian. A Christian should producing fruit that is indicative of a Christian. And you can tell me all day long that you're a Christian, 
But if your fruit does not exhibit that of a Christian, then you might want to stop and look at yourself in the mirror, in the mirror of Scripture, and see whether or not that is truly the case. Am I a Christian? You know, Jesus said uh, when he walked the earth with his disciples, and uh, he, he He used that in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Christian, without Christ you cannot do nothing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So not only do we bear fruit as a Christian, we, we obey what he has to teach us. And the requirements, the commandments require two things of us. A love for God and a love for one another. A love for God and a love for another. Look back at verse 9 of chapter 12 before we stand and read in just a moment. Look at, and we talked about this last week, let, or a couple weeks ago, let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. And such love must be sincere and not a facade. It's got to be genuine. The church-going person must not simply pretend to love, They must love. As Christians, we have been transformed to live lives that are renewed by the power of God's love in us. And such love should spur us on to love others and to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice and thankfulness to the Lord. And so why is it so important to act different than the world? You know, we're told to live transformed lives. Why is it so important for you, Christian... To live a life that's different than the world. goes back to the apple tree. If you tell the world that you're a Christian and they don't see Christian fruit from you, if they see nothing but worldly fruit, then they're not going to believe you're a Christian or they're going to want the Christianity that you do as opposed to the one that God calls us to do. But it's very important to us. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. You know, as a Christian, that's where I take my hope and and, and, and the hope that the world doesn't understand. I know that no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how stupid the world gets, how depraved the world gets, my hope is in Christ. And I know that they will act the way they're supposed to. It does, and it shouldn't dictate the way I act. James 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Folks, we need to take these passages of Scripture as serious as the apostles when they wrote them. When we read these things, it's not some suggestion that, well, this is just good philosophy. If things are going well, I, I can do this. No, God is telling you He called you out from the world to act different than the world. That's why the world hates you. That's why the world despises you because you, why you love them in spite of the sin they're in, you love them enough to share the truth of the gospel. You call sin, sin. You say when a, when a young man and a young lady want to live together, 
and you pull your daughter aside or you pull your son aside and you say, that is not the way that God intends for us to act. And they go, well, mom, dad, we're in love. And if, if you just love me, and you know what? If you don't accept this, I'm just not coming around. You know how many parents I've seen buckle to that? And, so, and I've actually had parents come tell me, that, well, pastor, I, I, I don't want to upset. I don't want my kids not coming over for Thanksgiving. Really? You don't love your children. Because you're more worried about your feelings and what you get out of it than you're worried about their souls. See, Christians, we are called to be separate from the world. Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so, in the remaining verses of Romans 12, we continue to see what indicates a Christian's transformed life. Last week, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago, we learned the five lessons on Christian love, the first five lessons, which were hypocrisy, devotion, diligence, hope, and hospitality. If you didn't get a chance to be here for that sermon, it is online. You can look back at that. And, and, and then this morning, we're going to look at five more as we conclude what it looks like to love as Christians. So if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word here, Romans chapter 12. Pull out your phones, your iPads, your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, and beginning in verse 14. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. By being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your own mind, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge. Beloved, instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, excuse me, for in so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And Father, we thank you so much that you've gathered your people here. on the on, what, a, what a day, Lord, on the first day of this new year, 2023. And your people have gathered here to worship you, Lord, as they have gathered all across the world today and will continue to do so as the time travels across this planet. And Father, I pray that we here at Grace Harvest, Lord, as we gather to worship you, Father, that hearts would be still this morning. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones that need encouraging this morning, that, Father, they would be encouraged. The ones, Father, who need to be corrected, that you would correct them through the Holy Spirit that indwells in them. I pray, Father, for the hurting this morning, those physically hurting and emotionally hurting. And I pray, Father, for the one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that if today they would die, they would spend eternity apart from you, Lord, in hell forever. And Father, I pray, God, that you would receive the honor and glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. So as we dive right into this, as we looked at hypocrisy, devotion, diligence, hope, and hospitality, now we look at blessings, compassion, humility, gentleness, and forgiveness. First, blessings. In verse 9, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The uniqueness of Christianity 
stands out boldly in the way we treat our enemies. There's no clearer indication that we belong to Christ than we do not treat our enemies the way the world treats their enemies. Those who are my age and a little bit older, this name will be very familiar to you. For the rest of you, you need to look it up. Nikita, Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, he was a uh, leader of the Soviet Union back in the 60s, and he understood graphically and the difference between communism and Christianity, and he voiced that difference. Quote, The difference between Christianity and communism is great. When someone strikes you in the face, you turn the other cheek. If you strike me on the face, I'll hit you so hard your head will fall off. Unquote. That's the way the world responds. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And the sad thing to say is that many Christians feel the same way. Even the church can be filled with that vigilante spirit. And it's alive and well. And I have seen it. Pastor, you don't know what this person has done to me. No, I don't know what this person has done to you. But it's not as worse as you've done to Christ. I can tell you that. Because while yet you were a sinner, Christ died for you. To set you free from the bondage of sin. And so what do we want to do? I talk about it often from this pulpit. We as Christians who have been delivered from sin. And what does that mean to be delivered from sin? Very simply. We all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Born of woman. Every one of us. Born of woman. And, and, and I hate to tell this to you. Break this to you mommies and daddies. But those little children that you have. That you love so much. They are lost. Just as lost as you were when you were a baby. They're not. I mean, leave them alone for five minutes and tell me how sweet and innocent they are. I was just sharing uh, some some of this morning. I was talking to Seth about, you know, I asked him how it was having all those children in the house. And I, and he's kind of looking at me and I go, yeah, I know as well. And I said, the thing with twins, though, they could get in trouble where the others could, wouldn't get in trouble or we wouldn't think about it. And I remember a time when they climbed up on the counter and uh, we kept our knives away hidden from the kids and we put them above the cabinet above the refrigerator and they went up there and there they are helping each other get up and one of them's holding one of these knives three years old right they're little demons and just give a and we laugh about that but give a child a knife and let him be angry what would he do with it you see we're born with that sin in us the, the bible tells us from the days of our youth our heart thinks of nothing but wickedness there's not one of us righteous, no, not one. So I don't care how good you think you are, how what a good person you think you are, if you were to stand at this, this very hour, if God called you home, if you dropped dead when you walked out of this building, hit by a car, and you got called home, and you stood before God, and, you, and God looked at you and said, okay, he's not going to do this, but suppose he asked this question, why should I let you in? And if anything other than your mouth comes out, if the word I comes out, you've got it all wrong. It's because Jesus died for me. Father, Jesus died for me. And my sin separated me from you. And because He was perfect and holy, and He was born of a woman, fully man and fully God, 100% God, He was the God-man. He, he was God incarnate, and He was the perfect sacrifice. And because Jesus went to the cross and paid the punishment for my sin that I deserve, I deserve an eternity in hell apart from God because He is holy and righteous and just. But in His mercy and grace, He sent His Son to die for me. And He sent His Son to die for every believer in this room. 
And He sent His Son to die for you if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior. And He tells us with that, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead. And the Bible says we are saved. And that confession leads us to live this Roman 12's life. That's the fruit that we now display, that apple tree that produces the fruit of repentance. And so when I stand before God, I will hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't think I'm special. Every Christian will hear those words. And it's not because you were faithful and just. It was because Christ was faithful and just. And you accept His righteousness when you got born again and became a believer in Him. So when we get there, it's all about God. But dear one, if you don't know Him today, you stand before Him on that great day and you said, I did this in your name, God. I I was good. I did this. I wasn't evil. And God will say, depart from me, you workers of sin. I never knew you. You see, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And while there's breath in your body, you have opportunity to go to heaven. When you're dead, it will be too late. The Bible says, when a person dies, there's death and then the judgment. What say you this morning? Christian, are, are, you, are, you, are you excited when you hear that news? That you're born again and that you're going to be with Him? Are you excited when the... Preacher opens up the book of Romans and Romans 12 and he says, and, and, and through God's word I'm proclaiming to you how you should behave or are you sitting here going, this is a little bit much. Come on preacher, can't you be like them other pastors and just say happy new year and give us a real good feel, good re- uh, sermon about, let's do some resolutions, let's lose some weight and exercise. <laughs> All you ain't going to do that anyway. So I might as well tell you something I hope you do. See, Christians will sometimes, will even attempt to justify our anger by calling it righteous indignation. We will, we will get on our high horse and say, you know, that's sin and, and, uh, and I have a right to be angry at you. I, living illustration from your pastor, and God does this to me every week. So, the, so uh, yesterday, uh, we go out, we get some uh, Chinese food for dinner, and your pastor is so out of tune with everything going on around him. I didn't even realize yesterday was the 31st. That's what I get for not being in the office all week. And so I, so I get there, and we order stuff, and the, the lady, very sweet, says, Happy New Year. And I'm going like, what? That's a couple of days away. And so I get my stuff, and I go in, and then we stop by the grocery store on the way home, and I walk by this car. Kathy's in the car. She's completely wore out by this point. I walk, I walk by this car, and I get so angry at this bumper sticker. And it was on the side window. And it was all these woke stickers on there, and it was up there. And I got so angry at this. It was such. It was. It was. It made me so mad. I can't say what it said. It was. It just made me so bad. I can't say it from the pulpit. I can't say it in public. And 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 I saw this on there, and my first thought was this. I wish that person would come out here right now, and I'm going to say the exact same thing to them, literally, and all of you would wash my mouth out with soap. But that's my first thought. And I'm walking in there, and, and it's almost, God didn't do this. It's my sanctified imagination. It's almost like God just laughing and going, uh, Romans 12, Mark. Romans 12, Mark, you're going to preach on it tomorrow. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm walking in, I'm going, oh, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. That person's lost. Going to hell, and all I wanted to do was get up in his face and tell him how, Wrong I thought he was. 
That wasn't righteous indignation. That was, that was just prideful arrogance on my part. And so we, we need to be very careful of that. You see, the, the world plays to that vengeance stuff. Um, but God did not save you and forgive you in order for you to be like the world. Let's be honest with ourselves. Hollywood knows how to, how to push our buttons. Think about every movie you ever watched. One of my favorite movies, all-time movies, Outlaw Josie Wales. I named my dog after Josie. And, and Clint Eastwood's in there, and this movie made back in the 70s. And, and, um, and, 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 and I think about when I watched that movie, his, his uh, family was killed, his wife and his son was killed, and so he, he joins Contrails Ra- Raiders, and he's on the side of the Confederacy, and, and you know he kills all these Yankees, and... And we're all right there with him. You know, like, ah, that's great. They killed his kids. That's ah, all great. We watch the whole movie. It's all about revenge, right? Doesn't every Hollywood movie do that to us? They take somebody who is righteous, they get offended, and then the whole movie's about them getting even and paying back these evil people. It's the most unchristian attitude, and we love it. What did I say a couple of weeks ago? Does what entertain you, is it what God hates? I tell you what, I've had to do some real gut checks about this and reality stuff. See, guys, when I preach to you, God's already preached this to me. When I sit in my office upstairs by myself and I'm I'm praying through this and, and I write these things down and I'm sitting there thinking and God just berates me and goes and just it reminds me of how my mind continually wants to think of the ways of the world and when he's saying, I want you transformed, Mark. I want you transformed. I want my people transformed. And so we need to understand there's a difference the way that we should respond and the way the world responds. You see, okay, you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, uh, I'm not the vengeful type. I, 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 don't, I don't seek vengeance. But... but but let me remind you what Romans 12, verse 14 says. It says, just don't, don't curse them. Now you've got to bless them. Whoa. Whoa. Wait a minute. You go a little bit far here, God. I, I can understand not wanting to get vengeance on these people, but you want me to bless these people? God says, yes. Absolutely, that's uh, Kathy and I were talking about the sermon uh, earlier this week, and I was telling her about this passage, and I said, you know, it, it's something that really has hit home with me, is it's easy for me not to curse somebody, but it's a whole lot er- harder to bless somebody that I have an issue with. And uh, and she said, well, give me an example. What does that look like? And I described somebody that I have an issue with. And I said, I haven't cursed them. I never would. But i got to admit, I've never prayed for them. After they did what they did to me, I, I'm, I, I've forgiven them, i moved past it, but I haven't asked the Lord to bless them. That was profound for me. And so what did I do? And I, I got this, I stopped, I got on my knees in my office, and I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. You see, Christian, we're, we're called to do, we're called to go the extra mile. Remember when, when Jesus said, if somebody asks you to go one mile, you go two and, and during the days of the legionnaires, a legionnaire had the right to, to make you carry his pack for a mile. He could just pull any citizen out, 
grab them by the, by the scruff of the neck and say, here, you carry my pack. And, and they complained about it. It's like us when we had our revolution because we didn't like housing British soldiers in, in, our, in our houses. And so we go to war over it. Jesus said to these guys, when they ask you to carry their pack a mile, guess what you do? You take it another mile. So not only are you going, you're going two miles out of your way, you've got to go back two miles and come back. That's four miles. you imagine how long a day that took? And yet God, that's what God said. See, the world needs to see us act different. They need to understand the God that you love. Yeah, they've got to understand the God that changed you. How, how do people view you, Christian? You're sitting here today. How does the world view you? Do they see a, a person that's described here so far? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, in the early service, that's the one thing I get, to use, I get to try it out in the early service, I had the wrong chapter. So it's Luke chapter 6, and my text blew up from up here. I, I said, hey, I need your help, and it, and it all blew up until they told me what it was. So Luke chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start reading from verse, verse 27. This, this, uh, this is what our king expects from us. Who's our king? Jesus. So this is what he expects from you and I if you're a Christian. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who disparage you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your garment, do not withhold your tunic from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And for whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And treat others the same way you want to, them to treat you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Remember, folks, we are called to be Christ-like. And we are called to live lives that are holy and pleasing to Him. It's not a mystery on how we're supposed to live our lives. It's, it, we don't have to go off and look for some guru in, in some far-off country and, and meditate and sit there and, mm, mm, and try to figure out what God wants. He tells us what He wants from us. It, it's not difficult. The problem is we don't listen. Or we want to amend it to make it what we wanted to say. And God reinforces this, what I just read to you, through Paul. He tells us in verse 14 that a Christian should respond exactly the opposite from the natural man and, the inc and our inclinations of the flesh. Instead of cursing, we are instructed to bless those who persecute us. Bless them. Cursings and blessings are pronouncements of the mouth, right? Cursings and blessings are pronouncements of the mouth which address the future well-being of those whom we are speaking. So let's put it in our vernacular today. So if I'm blessing somebody, I'm saying nice things about them. I want good things to happen to them. I don't wish that they lose their job. I don't pray that God puts boils on their body. I don't pray that, that bad things happen to them. I don't do that. But then God says, I'm supposed to bless them. Now, I, now, on the other hand, now I'm supposed to be 
outward in my actions and do nice things for them. Actually care about them. Actually want good things to happen in their life. Christian, that's hard for us. And the only way we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It's to yield to that. Instead of cursing, we're instructed to bless. Cursings and blessings. You can't, they, they, they are mutually exclusive. We, cannot, we can do one or the other, but not both. I cannot curse you and bless you. And so God says, put away the curses and bless. And so that brings us to compassion. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. As followers of Christ, we must be compassionate. He tells us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You know, you might be thinking, well, Pastor, that's an easy one. I can do that. that that's something that can easily be done when, when, when I love somebody. You know, it, it, I, I, as a shepherd, I have that unique opportunity. Um, ever since uh, Grace Harvest, God uh, has worked in the lives of you people here from that small group of people back in 2006 that met in my living room in January and then our first preview service in May of 2006 and then our, our first service in um, at the, where we have never missed a Sunday other than God providentially allowing the weather to keep us from meeting in a building that wasn't we didn't own. And that, in that Swift Creek Elementary School, when those people showed up on that day and the day forward, I have had the privilege to be an under-shepherd with, along with the elders of this church and to watch God grow in many of you. I have seen many of you come to Saving Faith. I've seen young men and young women grow up from little children and teenagers to Austin and Megan now being married and getting ready to have a child. That's a blessing. That's easy for me to rejoice with them, right? It's easy to rejoice with you when, 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 when you, you tell me of a... Of, of a heart's desire, and God has fulfilled that heart's desire. It, it, it's easy for me to do that. You know what it wasn't easy for me? When I was a police officer, and I'm trying to get promoted, and I'm doing all the stuff I do, and I think I'm a really good cop. And I'm out there, and I'm working hard, and did all kinds of things out there, and, and then and the promotion list comes out. And you look at the number one, you know they're going to promote four people that year, you look at one, two, three, four, and you're number six. And you're thinking, I'm supposed to be happy for these people? I'm supposed to be excited for these people? Now, I didn't think like that. I thought these people are a bunch of schmucks. They, they, I'm better than they are. How, how could the chief promote them? And you, you can all experience in your line of work, wherever, wherever you work, you're thinking, how does this person get to the job they get? It wasn't until the first time I really preached on this years ago that I understood that concept it's not easy sometimes to rejoice with other people. But Christian, we're called. When God chooses to bless somebody else, you may be a husband and wife here who the Lord has closed your womb and you're not allowed to have children. It's hard for you sometimes to bless other people that are having children. That's exactly what God calls us to do. You may be suffering an illness and somebody else that you know in the church has, has overcome this illness. They may be cancer-free now. Do we rejoice with them or do we complain because it's not me? You see, that's the tough areas. It's easy to rejoice when someone says that, that, that you love, is things are going well, but Christian, we're to love all our brothers and sisters that same way. And so 
we need to understand that that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And let me warn you, Christian. Proverbs 17.5 tells us that the person who is glad at disaster will not go unpunished. Proverbs 17.5. That's God's wisdom. If you're, if you're happy when somebody else is going through difficult times and tragedies, God says you will not go unpunished. It's not going to cost you your salvation. But remember, Christian, we suffer the consequences of our sin, not our salvation. God saved you. You belong to Him. You will be in heaven with Him. But all you have to do is go look at the story of King David, and you know that he suffered, even though he was a man after God's own heart, and God loved David, he still suffered the consequences of his sin. Be warned. Paul followed his own counsel, just as he had formerly told the Corinthian believers that if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 26. And later he assured them in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, my joy would be the joy of you all. I, again, I have that unique perspective and opportunity as a shepherd to see the way God's working in your life. And just to sit back and to be able, you know, the elders, we talk about this. These six men that God has called to under-shepherd this church. And, 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 and I'm constantly amazed about how God is working in your all's lives. And to be able to sit back and watch that and rejoice with you is such a blessing. Some of you just miss out on blessings of life because you're so petty that you don't rejoice with others. But we are also called to weep with those who weep. And this can be a struggle for some of us. You may think, what do I, what do, I do? What do I say when somebody loses somebody that's really close? Well, how, do, how do I respond? How do I respond? We, f- we feel the need to go and to say something, to do something. We, th- we feel like we should do something wise or appropriate, but often we end up saying something that we shouldn't say or something really stupid. You know, we all know the story of Job's three friends. One of the things that they did well was they sat in silence for a week. They got in trouble when they opened their mouths. Sometimes that's all that somebody needs is for you to just sit next to them and cry with them. To mourn with them and just to be there. Fewer words are usually better and wiser. Paul doesn't say, counsel those who weep, does he? He's led by the Holy Spirit to say, weep with those who weep. Grieve with them. Grieve with them. I love this little story I came across that depicts this perfectly. A a little girl lost her playmate to death. One day she told her parents that she was gone. She had gone over to her house to comfort the grieving mother. Of course, the parents were like, what did you say? The little girl replied, nothing. I just climbed up in her lap and cried with her. I'm sure that that grief that the child displays soothed that mother's grief. So we need to grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to bless those that would seek to harm us. And we need to do it in humility. By being of the same mind toward one another. Number three, by being of the same mind toward one another. Not being haughty in mind, but associate with the humble. To be the same mind is not to look at people differently. 
because of the way they dress, because of the way they look. You don't, you don't, you should not pay more attention to a person who has money, lives in a big house, and has that great job. Every Christian, every believer that is a member of this church should be viewed in this, with the same eyes from every other member of this church. Regardless of what, how much money they have in a bank account or how much they don't have in a bank account. We should treat everyone the same, not showing partiality to one over the other because of their economic or social status. James speaks to this in his epistle, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with gold ring and dressed in bright clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then in verse 9 he writes, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, being convicted by the law as a transgressor. God takes that very seriously, doesn't it? Tells us to look at one another with eyes of humility. We are commanded to show Christian love by not being haughty and associate with the lowly. To be haughty is the, to be prideful and arrogant. And it's the opposite of humility. I'm too good. I'm too good to be seen in public. I can see you at church, but I'm, I don't want to see you in public. Folks, that's sin. It's a sin that's in us. And, and it's an attitude of humility that hasn't been dealt with. Or pride, rather, that hasn't been dealt with. Let me ask you, do you only hang around Christians that you deem worthy of your association? Are they only people that are allowed in your house? Is it beneath you to associate with people who do not have a nice home, a nice car, or a job? Or do you feel they're beneath you and you don't want to associate with them? See, to be humble and to show Christian love takes us not to be wise in our own mind. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Paul is echoing Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. Leon Morris in his commentary on Romans 12 says this, quote, The person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people. Unquote. I love that. Even some unbelievers get it. Jay Leno used to be on late night talk show and not a believer and but he, he knew what his, they asked him what his secret was to his long marriage. And he told Parade Magazine back in 2012, quote, I think the key to life is low self-esteem. Believing you're not the smartest or most handsome person in the room. All the people who have high self-esteem are criminals and actors, unquote. Paul is warning us of the danger of intellectual pride. This, this was the sin that Adam and Eve fell to in the garden. When they thought that that by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would become like what? Like God. What was Lucifer's sin? I will. I will. I will be like the Most High. You see, basically what we're doing when we're being prideful, we're acting like our former father, the devil, than our new father, God. 
And so God wants to cleanse that from us. You know, it's the sin that Paul referred to in Romans 1 also of those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. How do they do that? Why do they do that? Professing to be wise, they became fools. Just just turn on any news that you want to. Scroll through any news feed. Go to any social media and you're looking at it and you're going, what in the world has happened? How, 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 can, they, how can nobody understand when, when somebody asks you, Give me the definition of a man and a woman. Well, it's whoever wants to be one. How did that happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Because professing to be wise, they became fools. They've turned everything off from God. They don't listen. It's like like they turn off the spigot. Just as quick as you turn off the spigot and the water stops, they turn off the spigot. They don't want to hear anything about God. That's why they're so hostile to you. That's why the world hates you, but you're not to hate them in return. You're to love that transgender person. You're to love that homosexual. You're to love that fornicator. You're to love them enough to share them the truth of the gospel with them. You love them. You don't disdain them. You don't spit on them figuratively or literally. You don't look at them in disgust. What you do is you pray for them. You pray for them. And, and folks, I'm preaching to myself because I have to be real careful when I, when, I, when, I, when I see all this nonsense going on and I act like it's something new, but it's not. Man has been always evil with the intent to tear down everything that God has made. Listen to what... The prophet Jeremiah wrote in chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. And the Lord warns this. Thus says Yahweh, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let, an, let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who shows love, kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in, in these things, declares Yahweh. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands me and knows me. How do you understand and know him? Through the Word of God. Through the listening of the preaching of His Word. Through the study of Scripture. Being in Sunday school. Being at men's group on Monday night. Being in family group on Thursday nights. Being at the women's uh, class is getting ready to start up. When, when, is it, when is that starting? Anybody tell me real quick. February? January 12th. Th- Thursday morning. We're going to be, the ladies are going to be here and they're going to be studying in the book of James. Folks, you, you, you learn how to know about God and to love God, not by osmosis. You're not going to just get it by singing some songs. Listening to Christian radio on your, t- that's great. Well, no, it's not great because some of the worst theology you ever hear out there comes on a Christian radio station. Live a transformed life, one of blessing, compassion, humility, and gentleness. Verse 17, gentleness. Never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, being at peace with all men. Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it in movies, I've heard people say it. Uh, Muslims believe it. Matter of fact, I was watching a documentary on 
uh, is it Sharia law that is back in Afghanistan. And so they open up the Quran and, and I watched this and they were talking about an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's exactly what they do. Well, let me tell you something, folks. You know what the Bible says about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? It was never given to an individual to do that. Never. What do I mean by that? Somebody comes over and knocks Kathy's tooth out. I don't want to knock my tooth. I don't want to knock my tooth out. And I can't do that. I don't get to go over in the Old Testament days. I wasn't able to go over to that person's hut and take a chisel and knock his tooth out. Guess what I had to do? I had to go to the elders. And you brought it before them. Because God never gave it to an individual. He gives it to those in authority. He gives it to the government. So our eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, comes from the government. You steal, you go to jail. Well, you used to. If you assault somebody, you go to jail. If you murder somebody, you may lose your life. But it's the government doing it, not you as an individual. God never calls us to do it. So I hear it all the time. Well, the Old Testament, you go eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah, but he set that up. He never took away capital punishment in the New Testament. See, a clear sign of a transferred life is to have a gentle spirit, not looking for an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. There's no greater way to show that to never seek than never to seek revenge. I'm going to quote John Piper's story here in just a second, but I remember a quote years ago. And I loved, I loved it. You may look it up yourself. I think they have a little YouTube video on it. And he's talking about John, John uh, Piper talking about forgiveness. And one of the things he said, we're, we're most like Christ when we forgive. We're most like Christ when we forgive. He tells this story about a missionary back in 1999. His name was Graham Staines. And I, I believe they were from Australia. And uh, he, him and his wife, two sons and his daughter were on the mission field in India. He and two of his sons, Philip, 10, and Timothy, 6, were mobbed by radical Hindus. They were trapped inside of their vehicle. And they were in India, and these radical Hindus burnt them alive in the car. The three charred bodies were recovered clinging to each other. Graham Staines had spent 34 years serving the people of India in the name of Jesus. He was a director of a leprosy mission. He left behind his widow and his daughter. His wife's response, his wife's response to this heinous act was in every paper in India to the glory of our Lord. She said a few days after the martyrdom of her husband and sons, quote, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire. That each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Unquote. That Christian is what God is talking about in Romans 12. I pray that I could respond that way. Kathy and I were been to Uganda many times, and it's no no place, you know. They, they don't burn and kill Christians in Uganda, but say they did. Say that one of the times Kathy and I were there, that they dragged my wife out of the car and they shot and killed her, and I lived through it. What would be my response? 
Would I have a love for those who killed my wife? Oh, I pray that I would. But it doesn't start when the incident happens. It starts with a life that's surrendered to Christ. It starts with a life who desires to be a Romans 12 Christian. It's, desire, it's a life that desires to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Him. You know, they, they, the story went on and you would have thought she would have moved back to Australia, but she said, no, God called them to India and she would not leave. My husband and my children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. Then perhaps most remarkable of all, listen to this, all of you who are teenagers in this room today. I want you to listen to this, please. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. Her daughter, Esther, was asked how she felt about the murder of her dad. And the 13-year-old said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. She didn't learn that in her Bible class. She didn't learn that on Wednesday night. She learned that from parents who lived Christ in front of her. Parents, I just told the children to listen. You need to listen. You need to understand how important it is to live this Romans 12 life in front of your children. See, that's the biblical standard that we're called to, every one of us. We need to understand how God wants us to respond when we are wronged, whether in a relatively minor way or a major way. We need to practice with the minor wrongs that we suffer so that when we are prepared for the major wrongs. The same way you taught your child how to, to, to sit at the table and eat properly and not throw his food. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> and how you... And, and, you got them, to, and I know you guys don't do this much anymore. But back in my day, yes sir, no sir, right? And it, it was for the life of me to try to get Crystal to say yes sir, no sir. Right? See, I don't think she ever did at home. But the amazing thing about it, though, when they would go visit everybody else, your daughter is the most behaved, most polite young lady I've met in my life. And I'm going like, whoa, an alien has possessed my daughter's body. But you know what? They paid attention. And parents, they pay attention to everything you do and everything you say. It's never been the place for a Christian to seek revenge. We let God handle the injustices done as in His perfect righteousness. Instead, we are commanded, not asked, we are commanded to show forgiveness. And I want to make one point, one comment here before I move past this to move on to our last point. Paul tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There's some people that are just going to be so mad and angry at you, you can't make peace with them. But it's on them. And you don't hate them for it. You just, you turn them over to the Lord. Kathy used to tell ladies all the time about this. She'd go, you know, uh, when she was talking about being submissive unto a husband that may not be living a life that he should be living. And there were times in my life when I wasn't living for Christ the way I should have been living. And, 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 and what Kathy would say, she goes, I, you know, I, when Mark and I would, would do something and we would decide to do something and he would decide to go in a way that I didn't think was, was good, I would then just pray and say, God, I've done everything I can. You've got to change him. That's what I'm talking about here. You've done everything you can to be at peace with that person. Now it's incumbent upon you just to move past, forgive them. Don't do anything to retaliate against them. Don't, don't, you know, 
That means don't talk about them to your friends. Don't go running off and say, yeah, you know, let me tell you what a great Christian I was this week. So-and-so did this to me. You want to, let me tell you what they exactly that they did to me. And then you proceed to tell them all the dirt on this person, but I've forgiven them. What have you just done? You've just piled all this load of garbage. It could be true, but you've piled all this garbage on this individual that is your friend about this other person that might have been your friend. And you're saying, I forgive them, and uh, they won't receive it. But, and then what have you just done? You've stirred the pot for somebody else. Christian, we, we, we can do so much better. And when I say we, I mean we. A transformed life will display blessings, compassion, humility, gentleness, and lastly, forgiveness. Verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. And for in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, merely not returning evil for evil does not fulfill our responsibility. And sometimes the positive part is the more difficult part. The withhold vengeance is one thing. It requires only doing nothing. I don't have to do anything. But to actually return good for evil? Now, now God, you're really pushing me. You know, we talk about blessings and cursings. I kind of get that, God. But now you want me to do good? You actually want me to do good to these people? And see, that was the obligation of every Christian that was around in the first century and every century, every century since and every century that the Lord delays it will be responsibility for every other Christian to do is to not return evil for evil but to do good. Paul quotes from Proverbs chapter 25 if you're wondering where this comes from when he says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him and if he's thirsty, give him a drink for in doing so you will heap burning coals upon his head. Why was this? It was a... A, a, an Egyptian cultural thing that if somebody was wanted to display their their shame and guilt, they would put a pan on their head of burning coals to resent the burning pain that they felt and the guilt they felt. So they would walk around on their head. So the point is that when we love our enemy and genuinely seek to meet his needs, we shame him for his hatred. And we don't do it for that reason. It's just a result of it. Have you ever had anybody tell you that they can't be mad at you anymore because you're just too nice to them? What a a great thing to say to a a Christian. Look, I should hate you, but I can't hate you because I hate you and you're still nice to me. I wonder how many of us could tell a story like that. The admonition, do not be overcome by evil, has two meanings and applications. Very quickly, first, we must not allow the evil done to us by other people to overcome and overwhelm us. We don't let it overcome us. We don't let it overwhelm us. You know, we sang a song today, and God has promised good to me. And you're thinking, as you sing that song, well, that's great, I got all this good stuff. And then I tell you the story about the missionary and his two sons being burned up with him. What good came out of that? We don't know the souls that were saved because of the wife's response. We, we don't know what God did with that. What man's perception of good is not what God's perception of good is. And that's why I've always said this before, and, and many of you are familiar with this illustration. Would you ever walk up to somebody, if you could walk up 
go back to 9-11 and they were getting ready to go in the tower and you knew that the planes were going to hit, would you walk up to somebody and tell them, God's got a wonderful plan for your life? Would you tell them that? No, what would you tell them? I care enough about you. I love, I love you enough that I want to ask you an important question today. If you were to die today, where would you go, heaven or hell? If the person said, and what they always say, for the most part, about 90% of the time I ask somebody this, I'm a good person. And the Bible tells us there's none that are righteous, right? Not one of us is good. And God in His mercy and grace sent His Son to die for us. As I shared the gospel in the beginning, I, I close with it as well. As we begin this new year, I urge you Christians first and foremost to meditate on Romans 12. Make it part of your weekly devotions as you go through your daily devotions. Put, put a day in there that you're meditating on Romans 12. I would encourage you to memorize it. I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You know how many times I use that and quote it when I'm laying in bed at night? Lights out, everything out, and I'm, and, and I'm thinking things I shouldn't think about. I'm holding grudges that I shouldn't have. And I quote Romans 12 to myself. And it brings me such peace to know that I have a God who has forgiven me and He's called me to forgive others the same way. So Christian, I, I would encourage you, strive to live that Romans 12 life. And dear one, if you don't know Christ and you're sitting here today, I pray this is the day of salvation for you. God has not promised you tomorrow. He woke you up today. He's given you the breath that's in your lungs this day. We don't know who tomorrow, who will be alive and who won't be. We assume we will be, but we don't know. We don't know. We had a tragic event occurred in our county this past week. One life was taken. The deputy sheriff could have been killed. Bullet grazed him under his chin. Three inches He's not here. You don't know what is in store for you tomorrow, but if you're a Christian, you know this. If you can lay your head on your pillow tonight, knowing that you put your faith and trust in Christ, and that if you were to die before you wake, you'll be with your Savior forever. But if you don't know that, if you don't know that, the, end, the opposite is true. If you were to die today, not knowing Christ, you will spend eternity in hell apart from Him. Where the Bible says the worm never dies, where there will be no light but fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of the teeth. And I believe that that wailing and gnashing will come from all those who said, God, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen when I had the opportunity to turn from my sin and turn to you. I pray that's your plea this very hour. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is the time we come in our sermons, in our service, in our worship as we've come and we've, we've, we've praised and, and glorified a risen Savior. My, my, first, let me address the Christians here. Oh, God has called me to be one of the under-shepherds of this flock. 
And I take it very seriously, the call that God's placed on my life as the preaching pastor here. I, I, my prayer for each one of you is that you're not hearing a mere man speak today. But you listen to the Holy Spirit that is, dwells in you, that reminds you of how far we have come and how far we need to go as Christians. But to the one or two or those listening online that do not know Christ as Savior, I beg you, I plead with you, come to, come to Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody here. Please hear my heart. That's never my desire. That's not our desire here at Grace Harvest. That conversion has to be yours and yours alone. You can't just simply say a prayer and walk an aisle someday and think that you were saved. It has to be acknowledging to Christ that He is your Lord and He is your Savior. It's acknowledging to the Father that He sent His Son to die for you. And He took your place for the punishment that you deserve. And you stand before Christ justified. You stand before God the Father justified. Oh, I pray that you come to saving faith. In just a moment, I will stand up front. Christian, if you need me to pray with you, I, I would love the opportunity to do that. I, God may have been speaking to you a way that I can't even imagine today, and you want me to pray with you, I would love to do that. The altar will be open. I haven't said that in a long time. The altar will be open as well. If you need to pray, you come and pray. If you need to make a decision public, you, God has called you to be a member of Grace Harvest Baptist Church, you, you come and you grab this preacher by the hand. God has called you to follow him in believer's baptism. Some of you have never been baptized. You, you've believed, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, but the Bible tells us that after that we are to be baptized. That's the first commandment we're given. It doesn't save us, but it's, it's evidence of the fruit of a redeemed soul. However God's working, you come. Father, thank you so much for the preaching of your word today, for the praise we have lifted up to you, Father, for the giving of our first fruits. Lord, bless your people as we enter this new year. Bless them, Father. Grow them in your Son. May you use us all for your glory. In Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. You come as the Lord leads, as Pastor Cal leads us in song. Let's all stand in